Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Tracy Mare Muska, a 1996 graduate from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. In this episode, you'll hear how the Academy really challenged Tracy's identity in a variety of ways, how several complicated situations ultimately resulted in her having to pivot her career out of the Coast Guard far earlier than she had initially planned, and how she eventually was able to translate the lessons she learned into meaningful work as a pastor with a special focus on working with people nearing the end of life. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Sure. I currently live in West Hartford, Connecticut, in the um, greater Hartford area. And I went to the Coast Guard Academy and graduated in 1996. Nice. Okay. And um, to start, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? Sure. So I am an ordained minister of word and sacrament in the Presbyterian Church USA, and I'm currently serving as the minister for mid and later life at Asylum Hill Congregational Church here in Hartford. I'm a mother of two um, middle schoolers and um, am also a wife. Wow. Okay. So definitely curious how this all unfolded for you. But Hartford, Connecticut, not too far from the Coast Guard Academy. So Still a little close, huh? Yes. Um, (laughs) All right. But okay, so to start, though, let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college, what made you choose a service academy, and what made you specifically choose the Coast Guard Academy? So my father was a Navy veteran, so military service was not foreign to my family and had always been something I had a lot of respect for. And when I was in high school, during my sophomore year of high school, there was a really violent fist fight that happened right in my classroom. And I remember feeling hopeless and helpless and really afraid by that. And I remember thinking, I want to go somewhere where there is discipline and order and obedience and where people follow the rules and everyone has respect for one another. And I remember thinking really at that moment that I was really interested in joining the military. Um, I looked and applied to a lot of different ROTC programs and um, the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and Coast Guard Academy. I ended up choosing Coast Guard because of the peacetime service and the peacetime mission. I really appreciated the thought of getting involved with law enforcement operations and search and rescue. I also liked the idea of being um, stationed somewhere in the U.S. That's largely where Coast Guard graduates are stationed. So that was comforting to me too, since I am really close to my family. Um, so that's how I ended up at the Coast Guard Academy. Wow. Okay. So you were inspired by this fight. That sounds like a very clarifying moment. Um, So tell me a little bit more though, like in in your school, um, was this common to go to the Coast Guard Academy? You know, it was interesting. One of our guidance counselors was really well-versed in the options when it comes to service academies. And so I was certainly not the first person to consider it. In fact, one of my classmates also applied to and was accepted at the Naval Academy. Oh, and another classmate actually did end up going to West Point. So there were a lot of 
conversations about military service, but coming from the Northeast, it wasn't necessarily a especially commonplace thing to do, but we um, certainly had some resources within our school that were well-versed in military service and in the academies that helped um, present that as options for us. Uh, so how did your family take that? They were really excited for me. And I think for my father especially, he was really touched by the fact that his own journey in the Navy helped inspire me. So I think there, we had kind of a special connection that way. Um, and they, they're just, my parents have, are still living, thankfully, and they have always been so incredibly supportive. I think whatever I would have chosen, they would have been enthusiastic for me. But I think the fact that I put, made a priority of service to my country really made them proud and excited for me. Mm. And was the plan then to, I mean, it was obviously to serve, but did you have more clarity about what that would look like for you? I really thought that I, that I would probably do a career in the Coast Guard, interestingly, and I'm not sure how I could have possibly conceived of that when I was 17, but I really assumed that this was the next step and this was the step that would be a very long-term um, thing for me. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't, know, I don't know why that is, but I was not like, oh, I'm going to go to the Coast Guard Academy and be five and dive, as they say, I, but I really did think it was something I would do for the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you have like images of camaraderie in your mind and like all that kind of stuff with the academy? Yes. And I, I know some of the materials and some of the um, programs that they had. I did participate in one of those programs that happens the year before, your, the summer before your senior year. So you can um, acclimate yourself to the um, to the academy, and I, I remember thinking that yes, this would be a place where I would find forever friends and really find my place, and again find that discipline, the predictability, the routine that I was really seeking. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Okay. So the application process was that pretty smooth for you at that point? Then yes, I really found it to be very accessible. I did do well academically in high school, which helped. And I also was involved in a lot of athletics and um, had a lot of opportunities for leadership in high school. So I felt like my resume, if you would, had a lot of things that they were looking for, you know, academics and the leadership and athletics. Um, so I was excited to get in for sure. And I, I even when I was accepted, I was accepted on the early side because it was rolling admissions. And so it was fun to really know for quite a long time that that was my next step. So really as early as the fall of my senior year in high school, I knew where I was going to be going. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's super helpful. Huh? Cool. All right. So before we dive into that first summer, if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? Complicated. Hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? <laughs> I know it's so overused, but this idea of it really being some of the most incredible and mind-blowingly wonderful times of my life, and also some of the very most painful times of my life. Um, and that's what's so interesting that all of that can be crammed into such a short amount of time, relatively speaking, all mm. really crammed into those four years. But 
both the exhilaration of the summer training programs and the friendships that were created and the relationships that I had. Um, and then also just some of the pain associated with being challenged to, you know, it, to an extent that I hadn't been before emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Yeah, it's so interesting, though. You're the first person to use that word, actually. Mm. So you own it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, so, um, so complicated. All right. So there's definitely some stories there. Um, but let's go back to that first summer. Um, you went to summer seminar. So you had a little bit of an idea of what you were getting into. Um, but tell me about it. Tell me about that first day, that first summer. How did things go for you? Well, I thought I was in good shape and I thought I was prepared for the mental, they're not games, but the, but the training that goes on in terms of the mental testing, let's say. Um, so I really did think I was really prepared on all fronts, but I really wasn't. And I think my biggest challenge for me was just growing up in a context that where there was a lot of affirmation and a lot of encouragement and realizing how much I depended on that for my own self-esteem. So when I arrived at the Coast Guard Academy, there was there wasn't anyone there to affirm me or to encourage me. It was really, it really felt personal. Whenever I would make a mistake or whenever I would fall short, I felt like a failure. And I really struggled with finding happiness and joy in the middle of that because I've realized how dependent I was on the validation of others. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, a lot of people that go to the academy too, they're perfectionists and I'm sure you kind of have that streak in you as well. So <laughs> and, guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is a game. I mean, so there's no being right or, you know, so I get it. Hmm. I mean, that's a big challenge, though. I can definitely get that. But how did you feel at the end of that first summer? So I did make it through. Um, I certainly wasn't winning any awards for the most stellar cadet, that's for sure. But I did. Um, unfortunately, I feel like there was a lot of erosion of my self-esteem that happened during that time. And that took, I mean, I don't want to say decades, that might be a little melodramatic, but it took a very long time to recover when I felt we were constantly judged on our physical ability. And really, as I said, I, I, I was the captain of my sports teams in high school. I really felt like I was an athlete, but then being compared to people who really were far more athletic and far more coordinated than I was, um, just really made me wonder if I had it in me to get through. And so mm -hmm. I did get through, but I think the impact it had on my self-esteem of really in internalizing some of those messages that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't enough of a leader, all of these things that I, I heard implicitly um, kind of sunk in, I think, in a way that it, it didn't necessarily for other folks. Like some, I, I mean, gender wise, I don't like to necessarily generalize, but it, it is, the studies have shown that women do take criticism more personally. And I know that, that I was, I very, very much did that. So yes, I definitely made it through, but I definitely feel like I was starting fourth class year, that first year, really questioning 
my ability and really feeling very insecure. Gotcha. Yeah, that's huge. Um, Because the fourth class year is not easy. So um, it sounds like your whole identity was really challenged. And like you said, um, you were used to growing up in a household where there was validation and, um, you know, a lot of positive encouragement. And yeah, the academy doesn't really do that so much, especially in that first summer. So um, Hmm. And you, you had a good point about uh, many of us came from places where we were high achievers, where success maybe came easy for us. Yeah. And, and it's very normal, even at a normal civilian college for people to come, you know, they were valedictorian of their high school class and they come and all of a sudden they're with all the other valedictorians. So it is a humbling experience, I think, regardless of where you go. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Well, okay, so so talk to me a little bit about then that transition into the academic year. Um, how did things go? Well, I studied marine environmental science, which I absolutely loved. And so that transition was amazing because I really could just throw my whole self into my studies. And so I loved the academic piece and that thankfully did not come as hard for me as some of the other elements. Um, but I enjoyed very, very much what I was studying. And it's, I, I really enjoyed the professors that I worked with and the research that we were doing. It was really a good change of pace from, from the swab summer, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, did you feel like you had made close friendships or connections during that summer and then as you went into the academic year or did you feel like you were kind of like on your own i felt a little bit on my own i think i was my own worst enemy during swab summer i think back of just how much anxiety i had how little i was able to sleep and realize i wasn't even a particularly likable person during that time i was not my best self so i did not make a lot of friends, let's say, <laughs> during swap summer. So once we got into our majors, that's when you were able to really get to know people and to study with people that had similar interests. And it w- I was able to contribute in a way that I, was, that I didn't feel like I was able to do during swap summer. So yes, I definitely, it took me a while. But when I kind of found my people, if you would, we it really changed my experience. And my women academy classmates were amazing and still are amazing. And they really, really helped me get through that fourth class year and beyond. But during that freshman year, I also um, was on the volleyball team and that was amazing. So having a place where I was able to get to know some upperclassmen, they were really supportive and they were kind of had my back. That helped me feel a little bit more a sense of belonging that I had during swab summer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it just makes, it just, it makes so much sense. It sounds like you were in kind of like a little bit of a survival mode, you know, that's first summer, just trying to like figure things out and just get through it and put your head down and your identity was being challenged. So I'm glad to hear though, that you, it sounds like you did, you found your group, you found your groove a little bit once you hit the academic piece. So, so that's a good segue into telling me a little bit more about some of these highlights at the academy. So it sounds like the volleyball team was one of them. Um, were there any other ones you wanted to share? 
Um, yes, well, I did row um, my sophomore, junior, and senior year. I rode on the crew team, which was amazing. And just being able to travel and get off campus was so liberating and so much fun. And we had a lot of laughs. And it helped keep me in shape in a different way. It helped me become really more of an athlete than I thought I was earlier on in life. Um, that was really good for me. Um, and also the friendships and getting a taste of what the quote unquote real Coast Guard was like was also huge for me because as much as I felt challenged by the Academy, I really loved the mission of the Coast Guard. And so when we had the summer opportunities to go serve at a small boat station or do some flight training or learn about the Marine safety field, it really opened up our minds to what life could be like. And so again, we often joke about the real Coast Guard versus the Academy, but the thought of serving in the real Coast Guard was really, really appealing to me. Mm. So, okay. So tell me a little bit more about um, these experiences that you had that gave you a taste of the real Coast Guard. So did they help give you clarity about what you wanted to do post-graduation? Well, when I was at the Academy, every graduate was required to go to sea. And it, I loved being at sea with all of my heart. So we did several tours um, on the Coast Guard Bark Eagle. We went on um, various different size ships to get some training, if you would. And every opportunity we had, I absolutely loved. There wasn't one piece of training that I didn't think was so stimulating and rewarding and interesting. And really being at sea, I felt like where was something I was really in love with, actually. And I considered flight school, um, but that really never ended up coming to fruition. But being at sea was something I still appreciate and still long for. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So were there any other major highlights or memorable moments you wanted to share? Um, I just, the friendships uh, with the other women in my class, we, you know, we had our moments for sure with one another, but we also, by the time we graduated, grew to have so much respect and appreciation for one another. And that helped me just recognize how diverse we all are and how what gifts we all bring and it just gave me a whole appreciation for people and how interdependent we all are hmm. interesting was your sense that every class was like that with the women or was that unique to your class we had a small class of women so there were only three dozen of us when all was said and done so and again, I'm not saying we were all best friends. I think there were certainly, I'm sure there were certain people who maybe didn't get along, but all told, we still get together pretty regularly. We still are in conversation with one another in various ways. Um, we're actually doing a book club right now where we're talking about a book and getting together every other week. So I do feel like there were some deep relationships and I'm not sure if that was unique to our class, but I do... I think we all have a bond that's really unique, whether or not we got along all of the time. And I think mm -hmm. we recognize that bond. And I think that bond exists between service academy women, um, not only within, within different academies and not even just within certain classes. So I think, I guess that's what I'm really talking about. It's more of a universal 
sense of solidarity, even if we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on the specifics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Well, so, so it sounds like, you know, you really enjoyed the academic piece. It sounds like you found, you know, a group, groups of people that you enjoyed being with groups of women, um, especially with the, with the volleyball team and the crew team. And um, so, all right, well, so let's dive into some of the lowlights at the Academy then. Sure. So um, there was, unfortunately, um, quite a bit, I would say, of sexual harassment that happened. And um, of specific note was some sexual harassment that occurred while we were underway on the Coast Guard Bark Eagle for a six-week trip, transatlantic voyage. Um, and after the after that trip, I did report the sexual harassment and the result of that investigation was that one classmate was punished and one classmate was actually discharged. But what surprised me most about that was just the amount of energy, negative energy, and the amount of retaliation that happened as a result of that. So almost immediately, there was retaliation. And I certainly, none of us were perfect. So I certainly had things that could be used against me and they were fairly immediately. So I ended up being put on report and um, being put on restriction for something that I had done wrong, which was legitimate. I was not falsely accused, let's say. Um, but as it, but it again gave me a sense of, I don't want to say helplessness, but a sense of wondering whether or not, whether it was possible to see justice prevail mm. and whether I was always going to be in a position without power, if that made, if that makes any sense. And yeah. in, even during restriction, it ended up, um, a classmate and I were both on restriction together and, she, you know, she and I were in, a room together and it was there was an impression we were both in our gym clothes and we were supposed to be in uniform so someone came in and saw us we were both sitting on the bed and then we were put on report for being gay which at the time was against the rules and you know punishable by discharge um, and so then I just facing an investigation related to my sexuality I was not prepared for that um, and that still kind of growing out of the sense of being retaliated against, that took its toll on my mental health and just my spiritual well-being. Again, it was my friends that helped me get through it. And we can kind of look back on it now and laugh. But at the time, <laughs> I remember thinking like things could absolutely not get worse. And that's when I was put on report for being gay. And I was like, oh, actually, they can definitely get worse. So that was a good lesson. Um, but again, it just it grew out of this culture of kind of the old boys club, which still was very much relevant in the late, the early and mid to late 90s. That's interesting because you, you know, you started off by saying Swab Summer really challenged your identity in a lot of ways. And now you're saying like even your sexuality was challenged. It just, uh, 
that's a lot of challenges, you know, like a lot to be challenged at that age, um, just in general, you know, let alone put that in an academy environment with, oh my goodness. So your friends helped you through that, uh, but still, Tracy, I gotta say, like, that sounds very stressful. That's very, very stressful. <laughs> Not to be obvious here, but I mean, really, like, that sounds like a lot. Um, uh, well, the rumors were hilarious because, of course, the the rumor was we were, quote unquote, out of uniform, which we were. We were in gym clothes. Oh, man. Were, oh, two women out of uniform being investigated for being in a same-sex relationship. Um, when the irony was I was actually on restriction for having a relationship with an enlisted man. <laughs> I was like, wait oh a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but at the time it was just, it felt, um, yeah. again, it, it felt yeah. like just one thing after another of um, that not feeling like I had power, feeling like I was vulnerable and that I was unlikely to succeed. And I think I did basically convince myself of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see like, it sounds like internally your self-worth and your confidence was really shot. I, I mean, as, as melodramatic as I'm being about the Coast Guard Academy, I, I mean, I credit it so much with helping me cultivate resilience and helping me ultimately find people who appreciate me and ultimately discovering my own sense of worth. Both the academy and my military service was just, I mean, it, it required me to eventually depend only upon myself for my self-worth, which is a very health, healthy place to be compared to where I was both in high school and at the academy and, and immediately following the academy. So I do, I am grateful with all of my heart for the academy and the and the doors it has opened for me and what it taught me about myself and others so as much as i resent how i felt back then and you know resent being made to feel that way if you would it it really did teach me a lot and it, and it was really productive would you say that um thinking back to that whole you know what sparked your inspiration to join the military that fight that you witnessed? I mean, would you say that you kind of went into the academy a little idealistic? I mean, even coming from a family that's very like positive and encouraging and um, it sounds like you just, you didn't feel really ready for criticism and, you know, all those kinds of challenges and like you yes, yeah. you're exactly right. And I remember literally thinking to myself, oh, there's not going to be any gender problems. Women have been in, at the Coast Guard Academy for like 15 years. And I remember mm. thinking like that was such a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I was only 17 at the time. So really it was a long time. But I remember thinking, oh my goodness, it's been forever. Women have been paving the way for us. So I'm sure everything's fixed. I don't know what I was thinking, but I remember being very idealistic yes yeah 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 <laughs> oh my goodness well I mean listen I was the same way I thought we were going to do like high fives and obstacle courses the whole time in the military so yeah um so it sounds like there were ups and downs but did your desire to stay at the academy and to graduate did that ever waver while I was at the academy after that very 
difficult year, I did consider leaving the academy. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm a person of faith and I applied to another school and I followed up with my application and they said, you know, we don't know what happened. We lost the application. There's no record of it. And then I, I had applied to two schools and the other school said, oh, we have, this is so strange. We've had record and applications. This is the first time this has ever happened for transfer students. And I really took that as a sign, which I know sounds cheesy, but I took that as a sign, like I am supposed to be here and I don't really know why. Um, but that made me feel like there was a purpose in me staying. Mm -hmm. And, and almost because those doors were closed, it made me really redouble my efforts in being a good cadet and succeeding at the academy because I was like, yes, I am supposed to be here for some reason. Mm. And mm -hmm. I did those, those, the last two years, especially, I had a lot of success, I guess you could say, but also just joy and fulfillment and fun. Mm. So did that, did that sexual harassment piece and, and the situation with your with being, you know, challenged with your sexual identity. Did that happen in the first two years? Yes. Okay. That happened um, right in the beginning of my second year. Got it. Okay. So now you're saying that the last two years were a bit of a different experience for you. Yes. Mm. Well, that's good. That's positive. <laughs> <laughs> that's positive. I think the crew team helps. You know, I really was able to channel some of that energy. I found my a sense of belonging on the crew team and I found success, you know, our, our, we just had a great time together and we laughed a lot. You're obviously your last two years, you're scrutinized far less because there's less people paying attention mm -hmm. and people maybe assume you've made it this far. They're not going to mess with you anymore. So I think maybe I was off of the radar screens of some of the people who thought I wasn't worthy or whatever they may have thought. So yeah, that la the last two years really were quite fun. Yeah. Tell me, as you approached graduation, what the plan was. So I was, because I did well academically, they actually did billet assignments based on your class rank. And I was able to get a 210-foot ship out of Florida. And that was really my dream billet. And I was very, very excited. So I was heading down to Florida to do law enforcement and search and rescue on a 210-foot ship out of St. Petersburg. Wow. And that was what you wanted? It was my first choice, yes. Wow. Okay. Okay. And what would you be doing on that ship? I was going the deck watch officer route. So I would learn to become a deck watch officer and take you know, responsibility for um, the navigation of the ship and whatnot while we were underway. So that... I cannot tell you how much I absolutely loved doing that. I loved being on watch in the middle of the night. I loved watching the sunrise. I loved watching the sunset. I loved the camaraderie that grew out of our relationships on the deck, just hours upon hours of talking and thinking and um, being together. It was a really amazing time. I absolutely loved being underway. Mm. So how long did you do that for then? So that is kind of when I started having some more challenges. Mm. <laughs> this is called the episode of many challenges. But um, 
complications, I believe. Compl that's it. it. It's yeah. complicated. <laughs> um, so while I was on board the ship, I did, I, I, I really did enjoy everything that I was doing. And during my time there, I did end up experiencing a sexual assault by an officer senior to me while I was in my home port. And that undid, I think, some of the work I had done in terms of my self-esteem and my sense of worth. And again, made me question my own value. That was heartbreaking to me because, well, at the time I really blamed myself for that incident happening. It did end up leading me into a relationship with a chief petty officer who was on my ship and ultimately let put me in a place of deciding to resign from the Coast Guard. So really, it's, it was incredibly unfortunate. And my career ended in a way that I did not anticipate. And it ended with like such a profound amount of regret and shame. And I was really hard on myself for a lot of years, decades even, I would say, about that failure. And that's what I saw it as a personal failure. And um, I appreciate now after some really good counseling <laughs> that there were ways in which the Coast Guard contributed to that. There were ways in which the sexual assault contributed to that. And there were ways in which I take responsibility for that relationship. Um, but it still is a really profound source of grief for me that my career didn't end in a way that I had dreamt. Mm. So how long were you in then? In the two Coast years. Just two years. Yeah. Okay. And then just, just to clarify, like you decided to leave or were you asked to leave? Oh, I decided to leave. And at the time I had every intention of marrying this chief petty officer. And that was, you know, not allowed. Well, I guess, weirdly enough, you could marry an enlisted person, but you weren't allowed to date an enlisted person. But because the way the way it was, was basically like, you either need to end this relationship or get out. And I opted to get out. Um, and that I felt like was the right decision at the time. But almost immediately, I realized that the amount of shame and regret I had about the Coast Guard career ending in such an unfortunate way contaminated my relationship with someone who was really phenomenally wonderful and amazing and who, you know, would have been an amazing life partner. The, but because I was so riddled with shame and regret, our relationship was like doomed to fail. And so he and I ended up splitting up not too long after I ended up getting out of the Coast Guard. I can tell you've done some work on this one because that's, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure, the relationship was not starting out with a very secure foundation, if that's the, if that's what had to happen. I mean, that was your career. That was your, what you had built, right? You had to let it go in order for the relationship to succeed. So 
Yeah, that's really tough. And also, as many service academy graduates might relate to, it is it was such an important sense of my identity, being a service member and having and having so much pride in being a service member and loving the Coast Guard with all of my heart. Yeah. And yeah. so realizing the grief over the loss of those things, it just, it was like basically choosing between two impossible things. And as a 20, what I was, I 21 years old at the time or something, just, yeah, maybe 24. It was just a decision that was really consequential. And I didn't quite have the help I needed, say, to really integrate all of these feelings and responses and emotions. Um, and I did make what I thought was the best decision at the time. Um, I spent a lot of time asking the what ifs, like what if I had stayed in for a few more years? What if I had decided to end the relationship? What if someone had been more accommodating to this relationship in terms of the in terms of the Coast Guard? What if the Coast Guard decided to say, oh, well, here's two people that are both really valuable employees and we want to keep both of them. How can we make that happen? None of those conversations happened. <laughs> so, mm. um, That's interesting what you said though about the identity because that is so true. And then just knowing what you shared about how like, look, everybody that goes through a federal service academy one of the missions of the military in general, right, is to kind of strip you of your identity, just in general, so that you rebuild it up. And, you know, there's not really, um, there is kind of like a handcrafted identity that they give to you. Like they tell you what to wear, they tell you kind of like how to think, how to form, how to do this, how to do that, your career is kind of like paid for you. So, you know, yeah, when you come out, you you do, you you've put on this identity that you're you know, you're a service academy graduate, you're in the Coast Guard, and you have all these predefined pieces of your identity that you, that you specifically, Tracy, built up after having been stripped down so, so much. And it sounds like you especially took that really, really personally and, and, and intensely. Um, and then to have it kind of just stripped away so quickly, especially when you loved it. Whew. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. I, I can, yeah, that's a challenge. So, and you're young to your point, you're only 24. So, um, you know, I mean, now you, you definitely have the perspective that like 24 is not old, you know, yes, <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not old. Um, but, but now you're, you know, you're many years out. So I'm sure you, um, well, we're going to hear about it, but I'm sure you see that that's exactly what needed to happen to get you to where you are today. So let's keep moving then. Tell me what happened. So you get out with the hopes that this relationship will continue on, but it sounds like it didn't. So mm -hmm. what did happen? Well, I um, ended up applying for a job that seemed like a really good fit. It was basically working as a marine scientist for a company that installed telecommunications cable in the ocean. So it involved being underway, it involved navigation and route engineering. Um, and interestingly, they weren't really getting back to me. And I was a little disappointed because I was like, how can they not be getting back to me? My resume is like perfect for this job. But then I ended up talking to a service academy sister, if you would, um, a, a woman who graduated with me from the academy who was working for this company and she said oh here's the person you need to send your resume to and before i knew i had a job at that company 
And it was the absolute most rewarding and fulfilling and fun job I could have had. It was a lot of traveling and a lot of um, time underway, which as you know, I loved. And it was doing something that I felt like was really interesting and relevant. The people I worked with were so encouraging and funny and smart. And my self-esteem really kind of turned around, if you would. And even though I went into it feeling like, oh, I'm destined to fail in whatever I do in life, it was just so fun to be in a place where people wanted me to succeed. That's what it felt like. Everyone wanted everybody else mm. to succeed and to be happy and to love their job and to do good things. So that was like amazing and wonderful and fabulous. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, in some ways, Tracy, it sounds like that was a better fit for what you were an environment that you internally felt more aligned with, quite frankly. I mean, just more encouraging and, you know, supportive. And interestingly, there were a lot of veterans, Coast Guard and Navy veterans in this company. Mm. And that's what it's, it is kind of interesting. And it was still very much a male dominated company. Wow. Um, but mm. it just had a culture that was really um, non-judgmental and really encouraging and mm. appreciative of what of the gifts people brought. And yeah. I think a lot of service academy graduates are surprised when they join the civilian sector and their work is valued in a totally different way. And yeah. that's really what I experienced was somebody being like, wow, you are a hard worker. And instead of that just being taken for granted that of course you are a hard worker, people appreciate it and reward you for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so how long were you with that company? And then what did you do next? So I was with that company for three years. And then it was after a few years that I realized that as much as I loved this job, it was a marine scientist's dream job. I was really lacking kind of a sense of fulfillment. And I realized for me, I felt most fulfilled when I would be working with the church, um, whether it was visiting older adults at the nursing home or working with the youth group or helping lead worship. I just loved my church. I grew up in a very progressive minded Protestant church in New Jersey. And it was just a place where I really felt at home that really always valued and loved me. So I was in a place where I was able to quit my job and go to seminary full time to pursue what I sensed was a call to ministry. Interesting. So now that I know a little bit more of your backstory with your relationship to the church, um, when you were at the academy, I know you mentioned several times that your spiritual identity and spirituality was challenged. Um, did you ever, while you were in the Coast Guard, whether at the academy or in the military, um, were you ever able to find your way with that? Or did that really happen like you're saying, when you felt this strong call to the church after this other job? Well, at the academy, I was very involved with the Protestant life, if you would, the, the religious programming there. Mm -hmm. And I was in the gospel choir and felt, so, I did feel a real sense of belonging and safety with the Protestant community. And interestingly, I was very close to both of the chaplains that were assigned there during my time there. There were two different chaplains there while I was there. And um, 
they really, I would, I say now still to people and that are in chaplain training, those chaplains are really the reason that I was able to graduate. They were the reasons that I really was able to find any, you know, sense of purpose during those really, really difficult years. Gotcha. So that, was that like a safe space for you to just process everything that was going on and um, just reconnect to something deeper? It sounds like. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So now you're, you're out of the military, you're out of this job and you're transitioning into the seminary. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. So when I went to the seminary, I went to Princeton Theological Seminary and it was like night and day. I remember laughing to myself one day during a lecture, the professor was preaching, was doing a lecture that was so profound and so poignant that he was brought to tears. He was crying while he was lecturing. And I remember thinking to myself, I am in an alternate reality because just a few years prior, I was at the Coast Guard Academy coming to attention when the professor came into the room. There was no professors emoting from the lectern at the Coast Guard Academy. So again, it was a place that was so authentic where you can really be who you are and you can feel what you feel and there was no judgment. And also, um, I took a course there called Confession and Forgiveness in Pastoral Perspective. And that class changed my life because our final exam was to write an autobiography. So I talked about all of what I just shared with you in this autobiography. And I remember my professor's comment that I get choked up thinking about it still. On the paper, the professor wrote, it seems to me that you're taking too much credit for what has been done to you, not what was done by you. And I remember thinking like, that was the first time that I ever relinquished any of the ownership over my mistakes. And I think we should take responsibility for our mistakes. Don't get me wrong. But I was taking so much responsibility. I took, I blamed myself for everything that went wrong. Every mm. bad mistake I made, I took 100% responsibility. And as you might know, a relationship with another person at least involves one other person. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, like, yeah. it clearly couldn't have been 100% my fault. But anyway, just seeing those words and then really reflecting on my experience with these readings that were about family systems and shame and regret, it just helped me think about my experience in a little bit of a different way and helped me give up some of that shame and some of that ownership and at least acknowledge that there were some ways that the Coast Guard contributed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds very healing for you, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely an al an alternate universe from the Coast Guard <laughs> Academy. <laughs> okay. So you got through there. Um, it sounds like that was like an enjo really enjoyable, uh, transformative experience for you in a very different way than the Coast Guard was. Mm -hmm. Um so what was, what happened after you got out? Well, I went into the seminary assuming I would become a parish minister because that was my only model for ministry growing up was the minister in my church. 
but then I did some internships. Um, I did an internship in a men's prison in a psychiatric hospital. I did an internship working for a nonprofit doing lobbying and advocacy. I did an inter in, in another internship in an acute care hospital in a trauma center. And I realized that really my call was to serve people who feel marginalized for whatever reason. And I think that grew out of my own sense of marginalization, but I absolutely loved serving people in an interfaith setting where I could um, provide non-judgmental listening, hope, love, affirmation, you know, just compassion to people who were struggling with challenging parts of their life, whether because of hospitalization or because of mental health challenges or substance use disorders or whatever. And that, and so I ended up graduating and becoming a chaplain and, um, and then serving um, in hospice in a hospital and ultimately eight years at a university as a university chaplain, kind of giving back in a way. I felt really like that almost was full circle going to be a chaplain, which was really so important to me and in my academy experience. It was a real privilege to be able to serve that role for students who were in college. Mm. And so that's not where you are today though, because you did that for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I realized was I love college chaplaincy. I love working with people in that age demographic, but my heart is still, I think, with older adults, and I loved working in hospice. I love providing support and care and compassion to people who are nearing their end of life. I love working with families who are dealing with bereavement, helping them find some hope and some comfort. So now I am working in a parish in a congregational church doing support primarily to people in mid and later life. We need people like you in this world because that's not easy work. That's not end of life work, hospice. Well, it sounds like it's a calling for you though. So, so that's what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. uh, you're doing that in Connecticut. And mm -hmm. you said that you're married and you have kids. Mm-hmm. So, so what's next for you then? I am open to wherever I am led. Um, I feel like this job is a job I can imagine myself retiring from. Um, I love the relationships that we, we have with our parishioners and the ways in which we can journey with them through good times and bad times and see them through the births of their grandkids and their children and, and then also companion them up until the end. So I hopefully see myself being here for until my retirement, maybe we'll see. Uh, who knows what other doors might open or where I might feel led, but it's been really a way of me, you know, recognizing some of the pain I experienced, figuring out what it took for me to cope with that and to learn from that and then kind of using those self learnings to just be available to people and journey with them during their suffering. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have to know at this point, hearing how your whole career unfolded, because obviously it unfolded very differently, you know, than what you thought potentially I mean, I know you weren't super clear when you went into the Coast Guard Academy, but you did have this idealistic vision of, you know, I'm going to be in the Coast Guard. I'm going to like, you know, right the wrongs and fight the good fight and defend our country and all that stuff. And um, 
but here you are. So very different path. Nothing's neither is right or wrong, just very different, right? So mm-hmm. how do you how do you currently feel about your decision to attend a federal service academy? I I do not regret it at all. And yes, I 100% believe that every last moment of my life so far, the good and the bad have helped equip me to be in the position I am in right now, which is one that I'm really, really grateful for. And I think if, you know, what if I had stayed in, my life would be different. And I can't, I really, I feel like I'm in a place right now where I am supposed to be. And were it not for the bad choices I made, were it not for the ways in which things unfolded that it wouldn't have ended up this way. So yes, I am incredibly grateful to the Academy. I'm so, so glad I went. I'm so grateful for the friends that I've made. I'm amazingly indebted for the doors that have been opened for me. Um, And ultimately, I think this is definitely where I'm supposed to be. There are definitely still times when I feel that grief and there are times when I feel the shame still of not having fulfilled my commitment. Um, But at the same time, I do know that that was all an essential part of being who I am now and where I am now. Well, it certainly feels like all those experiences put you in a really great position to relate to people that are at their end of life, because I'm sure you hear regrets and grievances and things that they wish they could have done better, you know, and what, what wonderful perspective you have to be able to work with people in that way, you know what I mean? Because that's yes. not something you can teach someone. You have to go through things to feel that. <laughs> right. And also the issue of shame. I, we all have it to varying yeah. degrees. And I can, I can relate really well to people who regret that things didn't go as planned, who blame themselves, perhaps, who maybe have made mistakes. And um, I do, I'm grateful that I have that empathy. Yeah. Yeah, what what a healing uh, gift that you give people, you know, at the end of their life. So it sounds like you're exactly where you need to be. And it sounds like everything that happened that was complicated was exactly as it needed to be. So there you go, you know, definitely came full circle for sure. Um, all right. Well, Tracy, uh, before we go, um, do you have any parting words for listeners, perhaps a key message to your fellow service academy sisters? Um, I, the one thing I think that I've taken away from my life and my reflection on it is just this idea that bad choices don't make someone a bad person. You know, I know I just took so much responsibility and felt so much shame and felt like, oh, I, I'm a bad person because I made this bad choice. And then I realized, you know what, we make choices for a lot of different reasons and it's always more complicated. And um, just inviting people to think if you're 
service academy career or if your time at the academy did not go as planned to just appreciate how strong you are and appreciate what gifts you bring and appreciate that there are a lot of things conspiring to undermine you and any and anyone who survives even a day at the service academy is a hero in my book Mm. It's interesting because I was going to say this, but I held back and maybe I should have, but even, even those words though, like bad choices, right? Like they're choices. You made choices and you even said this, you said this, like, you know, we, we make choices with the information we have at the time and with what our needs are at the time. And, you know, we do the best we can. So they're choices, you know, and they don't necessarily need to be labeled, right? Like, you're not a bad person, you know, so you, you made a choice and yeah, it didn't work out and it had consequences potentially. And, but you know, just, it is what it is. You learn from it and grow from it. I think that's the most important part. And clearly your life is evidence of that. So, um, oh. yes, I love how you say that. And, and I am also guilty of, I'm also guilty with not just this, but with many other things, sometimes labeling it as good or bad when really we don't know there's there's a whole long story that we don't know the end of and things that appear to be bad may turn out to be good and things that appear to be good may turn out actually to not have not be as good as we thought so yes to be more open to the possibility that you know we make choices based on the information we have and our task is to um, live into whatever presents itself as a result of those choices. Yeah, exactly. To grow through them, which is exactly what you did, you know? <laughs> well, I'm a work in progress, <laughs> like we all are. We probably. all are. We all are. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> so, all right. And finally, to end on a light note, uh, what is one random fun fact about you? Oh, okay, so... Um, part of the healing that came from me processing all of this was deciding to write a book about it. And the fun fact is that the book has each chapter highlights one of my female Academy classmates. And it was such a rewarding. So the fact is, it was just such a rewarding experience to reconnect with people, to discover their strength, their resilience, their beauty, and to to do a project that was not only personally therapeutic, but also is hopefully going to help other people and tell the stories of some untold stories of people who are miracles of amazingness. Mm, yeah. That whole process of writing a book and especially given everything you've, you've shared, I'm, I'm sure that must've been like cathartic and healing in so many ways. All right, Tracy, before we go, uh, can you tell listeners where they can find you? Sure. So um, I have a Facebook page, T. Mare Muska. And I also have a website that you can reach me on. And it's maremuska.wordpress.com. Mare Muska. All right. Sounds good. And I will have those links in the show notes. Thanks, Thank you Tracy. so much. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.